Hey folks, it's Mike Casey here, and you're listening to Digging Those Ditches, the weekly ramblings of an Irish archaeologist. Hey folks, and welcome to this week's episode of Digging Those Ditches. It's me, Mike Casey, here as always. Uh, sorry once more for another little bit of a little bit of a break between the podcasts, but I had this week off. Uh, just finished up uh, a dig that I've been working on for the last nine months in Kildare, so I was off for the week, uh, heading off now to do another job. Uh, don't know how much information I'll give about where I'm going working, but uh, we'll be in the in the west of the country, we'll say. Uh, so yeah, so took the week off and took that time to recuperate and relax and clear the head and get ready for another another bit of a dig. And uh, didn't really didn't really do an awful lot, uh, as I say. I really took the time to to rest up. People have uh, this image of archaeology. Uh, I've mentioned this before, and it's always what I get when I first come across people and you know you tell them you're an archaeologist they seem to think that it's a fairly lightweight work you know uh, that you'll be there with your with your trowel and your brush and this sort of very fine detailed excavation but for the most part you're there with a with a shovel and a barrow and a mattock and you're just trying to move as much earth as you can and, and get the job done uh, hence the reason of the you know the the name of the podcast digging those ditches you know as I mentioned before this it is a very physically demanding job uh, in addition to that, you're working outdoors. So I worked through last winter, and again, you know, I, ha- I couldn't go an episode without mentioning the weather. But uh, you know, Ireland can be tough at times to work outdoors in. It's it's usually one extreme or the other for the most part. You've got rain or it's and it's overcast and it can be quite cold, or else you know you've got 25, 30 degrees and the humidity is just killer. So it is very demanding, and it's important to take time and and rest and recuperate so i'm glad i did it uh also you know no matter what job i think you do it's always always important to to give yourself some mental and physical downtime to to recuperate because you know we're not machines folks at the end of the day we're just people and uh you don't want to kill yourself for a job you know there's more to more to life than that and as much and all as i love working in archaeology i definitely needed that that week break and i really enjoyed it uh, got did a few small bits. I headed home for a few days and chipped about. Uh, other than that, then I, uh, me and my wife, we also we rented two bicycles one of the days. We were we were supposed to head to uh, to climb Crow Patrick, but that plan fell through. So we decided we'd just rent two bicycles and we we took off on a a, seg- a section of the Greenway uh, in between Athlone and Mullingar. Now the Greenway is a cycle route that they're hoping once it's finished that it'll stretch from from Dublin to Galway and make it possible to to cycle across the country like that. So we decided we'd do the the segment between Athlone and Mullingar. Um, it's built along the the route of the old railway line that connected Athlone and Mullingar, and it's, it was really enjoyable. Honestly, it was great. If you if you get a chance, I'd I'd highly suggest doing it. You know, you get to you get outdoor, get some exercise, get some fresh air, clear the head, beautiful countryside. And just, a, it's a nice route, you know, it's nice and straight, not too much of it is uphill or, so it's not too strenuous either. If, if you're not used to riding on a bicycle, you know, it's a while since I, like I used to cycle a lot when I was younger, but uh, I found I found it a little uncomfortable, definitely on the way back anyway, because we had planned to stay over. It's about, it's about 40, 45 K of a, of a trek. And uh, we had planned to stay over, but you know, I was feeling a little cocky when we got there. So I said, ah, sure, we might as well, might as well try and cycle back again tonight. And uh, that last maybe 10, 15 kilometers on the way back was was fairly tough. The legs were, legs were giving out a little. Uh, it was quite cool, actually, the fact that we decided to come back because we came back and it was, it was almost pitch black in parts of the Greenway. You know, it's not, it's not lit up. Like it's, it's, as I say, it's built along this old rail route. So you're just traveling through fields and countryside and, but it was nice to have the peace as well of knowing that there's no cars around and you didn't need to worry. So uh, it, it, it can get quite spooky too, you know, when you pass some of the old rail stations. Uh, one or two of them, I think, are still being used. People are obviously still living in them, but a few of them are just abandoned there. And, you know, if you, if you come out of a into a clearing 
where you know most of the route is lined by trees on either side uh, when you come out of the clearing and you come in you just see this old abandoned rail station it it's quite spooky at that hour of the night you know it was, it was nearly 12 half 12 by the time we got back to got back to Athlone uh yeah so really enjoyed that as i say took this week to to recuperate both physically and mentally and and get ready for the next job and uh, it's important that you, that you do that folks so you know if you do have any holiday days to use you know now is the time nearly to use it you know coming up to the end of the summer things are quieting down a little and uh, and there's plenty to see and do in ireland you know i've given many suggestions over the last what 10 15 episodes of the podcast now uh, of places to to see and do and and Ireland is cool, you know, I know I give out about our public transport, but the fact that we could just rent two bikes there that day and head off and we were gone for six, seven hours, we stopped in Mullingar and had something to eat, like, you know, uh, it shows that you can get around Ireland without the public transport too, which is handy and there's plenty to see and do. So if you can't afford that sun holiday or, uh, you know, that trekking holiday across Europe, then uh, there's still plenty to see and do around the place and, and you know, take that time and enjoy it and there's nothing like the Irish air and the the quietness in some of the rural parts of Ireland to really help you you know clear the head and realize there's more important things to life than just killing yourself at work um on the show today then uh, I want to take some time to look at archaeology in Ireland or more specifically commercial archaeology and the the processes of it you know it's what I've been working in for the last couple of years now and uh just want to kind of give you an idea of what it entails and how how it works in Ireland. Now I don't know uh, a huge detail about all the various stages of it, of you know uh, planning and the processing of it and the financing of these sort of digs, but I'll give you my my limited knowledge there of it and you know explain my situation and how I found working in commercial archaeology. So that's where we're going to spend a little time on uh, on today's show to talk about. Uh, to start, though, I actually want to play a little segment of a, a talk that me and another archaeologist had, uh, an archaeologist by the name of uh, Thomas Delaney, or uh, Tommy, as we normally call him on site. So Tommy is a young archaeologist. He's not long finished uh, finished college, so he, he called over the other night, and we were just uh, just chilling out, and we decided we'd, uh, we'd record a bit of the podcast uh, and just get, you know, the get his view and his opinion on being a young archaeologist just out of college and, and coming into work in archaeology. And I definitely, in talking with Tommy, uh, I felt that, uh, you know, he had a similar experience to myself, even though in my situation I was away for a few years after college. I didn't go near archaeology. You know, it was still the, the tough times uh, when there was no real archaeology work to be found. And then I, I came back into it. So we had similar experiences, but, you know, different too at the same time. So I want to play that little segment. Uh, unfortunately, Tommy had to tip off early before we could finish up and and uh, put a proper uh, finish to the conversation. But he is going to come on the show again, and he's a really nice guy. Um, you know, down the line, he's big into local history and uh, knows a lot about the history of the GAA, which is something I'd like to talk about on the podcast. So we'll definitely have Tommy on again in the weeks to come. Um, finally, actually, I just want to mention, uh, this is for an upcoming episode, but, uh, during my week off, I went and I hung around with one of my, one of my best mates from, from my early days growing up, uh, and right on through to now, uh, Michael O'Toole. Uh, Michael is a, a master farrier, uh, for any who don't know what a farrier is, it's basically a person who shoes horses, you know, and looks after horses, the, like their feet care. And, uh, I spent the day with him just uh, watching him work and talking to him about the trade of farrying and, you know, what it's like in Ireland. And he's going to come on the podcast in a couple of weeks' time and, you know, talk about this with me uh, for you to, to hear. Uh, so that, that was a really fun day as well. Uh, on my Instagram page, there's a, just a little video, a little video clip of me and Mike talking about the difference between hot shoeing and cold shoeing a horse. So if you want to go check that out, you can find it on the, on the Instagram page, uh, Digging Those Ditches. Um, so yeah, as I said, I'm going to start off today, I'm just going to play that little segment of a conversation between myself and archaeologist uh, Tommy Delaney. Hope you enjoy the show, folks. Uh, 
Hey folks, and welcome to the next episode of Digging Those Ditches. Uh, very special episode today. We've got uh, a young archaeologist who's just, just coming through the ranks now, Thomas Delaney, on the show today. Uh, is it Thomas or Tommy? Whatever you want now, I'm not fussy. So, you know, say hello, Tommy. Hello, how are you? Uh, just going to have a chat today, uh, just about what it's like to be an archaeologist starting off, you know. He's not long finished college and... We're going to have an old chat about that and what's it like to come into the archaeology sector. And then we're just you know, we're going to have a general chat about archaeology and history. And hmm. you know, we'll just waffle a bit. As I say, you know, this, this show is all about rambling about archaeology. So. Exactly. Yeah. So, Tommy, uh, when, did you, when did you graduate? You're not long graduated, are you? No, I'm not. I graduated last October. Yeah. And... Um, didn't didn't really look for a job straight away. I was stuck working in a job in Galway that I'd been in for a few years, and then applied online for archaeology jobs and found out that there was a bit of a boom going on and got in with IAC. Then yeah, the boom is back, boys. The you know, boom is well and truly back. We're we're building roads now and everything. Oh, so flinging up skyscrapers. <laughs> well, you know that ties in with my uh, my podcast from last week. You know the. The, the Irish were good at building stuff and fighting other people's wars. That's exactly it, yeah. yeah. So, um, uh, what, what did you study in college, Tommy? Um, I studied archaeology and geography, that's what I majored in, but at the start, um, I, I had an interest in history, prehistory, um, local stories mostly. I, I, I just loved Mayo and Ireland and owl stories from around the place. And then when I went to college, I realised archaeology was a lot of that. Yeah. It was, it was just a lot of stories, laying meaning to the natural world, laying meaning to the human story. Yeah, Without it's... the use of scripts, it was, it was all material culture. Yeah, and that was... uh, yeah as I, I mentioned before, it's, uh, it's what's great about archaeology. You really feel like you're doing, like you're yeah. doing something. It's, it's hands-on and you're investigating. It's not just sitting down and reading and studying. It's, yeah. you've, you've got to really... You've got to use your brain in in a different way. I won't say more, I won't say less, but just yeah. in a different way to, to figure stuff out from their material culture rather than what was written oh, yeah. and what you can be directly told. Yeah, it's very, very hands-on. Yeah, um, and uh, where did you study in Galway, was it? Went to NUI Galway and yeah. studied there. Um, haven't really thought much about going back to college afterwards. Yeah. Do you know, like, I'm happy working... Working in commercial archaeology for now, but yeah. still have the interest. Yeah, exactly. But you're looking. You're doing. You're doing the work experience now, and maybe it'll set you up to, to go back, and maybe it could be Doctor Delaney someday. You never know. <laughs> you never know. But sure. <laughs> and uh, and why 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 study archaeology and history, Tommy? I know you you touched on it there, but yeah, where does it come from? Like, how long have you been? A history how, buff, were you a nerd yeah, as a young lad into history or is it more a recent thing? Or? Exactly, it's funny, I wasn't, I wasn't into history, didn't do it in school at all, failed it in the junior cert, <laughs> um, didn't keep it on for the leaving cert, I, I just loved, like that, old stories, uh, people passing stories on and um, just had a thirst for it and that's when you learn the most is when you're curious about it. And when you have something to fuel your 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 curiosity, like going to college, hmm. an environment like that then is very helpful. There's no pressure on you. Yeah. If you have to go out and like if you're forced to learn yourself, well then you'll take in a lot more, yeah. and you'll fine tune your interests. You can get into different parts of it from there. Yeah, or rather than being just fed it, like you know. rather than just being fed it and learning what the class learns. Yeah. You know, you can fine tune your own interests from it there. So yeah. like if you're certain interest was prehistory you could branch off and just study that yeah and you're building your own perspective of it not what you're being yeah not what the curriculum says you have to believe about it you know yeah and it's something we're going to talk about later you're big into like other ways of looking at definitely. historical and archaeological research so definitely yeah and, and i think too you know i was i was forced to go to mass when i was younger <laughs> and you know young lads just hate going to mass but I remember actually paying attention a few times. I caught myself listening in mass and realizing, geez, this is utter shite what the priest is on about. And from that, it was a thirst to lay meaning to the world. Yeah. Like religion is is a very old way of these people lay, laying meaning to the world without science. Yeah. And as things went on, then we had sort of a science background growing up in school. We we weren't fully religious based. And that was the thirst that came out of it as well. Is I just I just didn't want to take everything as it, as it was. I wanted to learn myself. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's a, it's an interesting way of, it being, is, of it being inspired. Like, yeah, that's definitely, yeah. Yeah, but it's a funny way as well. Like, you know, you don't want to, um, you don't want to be completely old fashioned. Yeah. yeah. And um, do you feel like, uh, like have you any particular interest in like ecclesiastical history or anything? Like, Not a thing. Because you got that realization from sitting in mass, you know, like did, <laughs> yeah. it, did it connect? Because I, I remember like, you know, the big thing that inspired me into history was my father, especially. And he was big into like, uh, military history and stuff like that. Yeah. I remember watching Platoon at a young age when I was like maybe six or seven. He let me stay up late and watch Platoon, and that really shaped me. And my interest in history became military history. Like true, yeah. So, what what's your specific kind of interest and what inspired that? As you say, you like the old stories and you're big into local history. Are you? Local history and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like even my own village there, where I'm from, in southeast County Mayo, there's a good bit of pre- there's a good bit of prehistory. There's a uh, few me- megalithic tombs standing tops or standing stones and even moving on from that there's a history the whole way up until recently like yeah but um and do you feel in ireland let's say uh for someone your age because you're, you're 23 is it i mean yeah um like i, I often found uh, in my in my hometown um you know the people in the the history society and the archaeology society like it's a very it's an older breed oh, so like is it, do you think there's much on offer for young people who have an interest in history to to collectively come together or do you feel yeah. that's missing a little how did you find did you do much like work on local history in your area with other people or is it just stuff you study for your own interest in your own stuff i study for my own interest you know just got a got a thirst for it and I think as well that there's so much to learn. There's so much learn and so many interpretations that maybe why those those archaeological societies and history societies are of the older age group is because they've filtered out all the shite that a lot of young people would be listening into and feeding into. You know, yeah. Um, yeah, like I probably wouldn't be the best man now to be talking in a society about history, you know. Yeah, but, but I, I still love listening to it and I love hearing stories yeah. and recording them and even passing them on as well. Like, yeah, yeah. See, I, I think that's that's a little sad. I think uh, in the sense that like it'd be great if you had the opportunity, as you say, because you're thinking you wouldn't be the best uh, sitting within an actual, you know, historical society talking. But like, it's terrible that you think that because really you should be able to meet common-minded people and talk like so maybe there's yeah. there's definitely i think room in ireland for and it's it's nothing against what historical and archaeological societies do now that's just the way that these yeah. have been set up but maybe maybe there's a a need for younger people to come in and change the way these societies meet and how they interact and stuff definitely because i think it's a, it's disappointing that people like of your age now i'm not much older i'm only 29 and i'm acting like i'm oh, yeah. 50 but like i just it's something i missed out on i think was having a group of people that I can hang out with and talk, you know. Same, and, yeah. yeah. And, and I think too as well, older people are probably following that uniformitarianism of archaeology and history the whole way through, whereas young people like ourselves are more flippant and we will shoot the shit and the crazy ideas and we're not afraid to do it. Yeah. Do you know, because like, what's the worst thing? You're going to be wrong. Sure, who cares if you're yeah, wrong? Yeah, yeah. As long as you're putting out another idea to get some juices flowing, someone else might add a bit to it. Yeah. You know? And you know, like... Um, yeah, no, there's definitely an element of that. Like, uh, yeah. And, you know, you said about how science is so important now to our study of history and archaeology and stuff. And I think, you know, are we almost devoted too much to science now? Has it become too logical, our study of history and stuff? Is there... It could well be. Yeah, like, it's. I think, as you say, young people have a good way of kind of throwing off that and, mm. you know, throwing off the, the regular ways of doing stuff. And maybe we need to move away from... Uh, science a little and you know I discussed on a previous podcast as well something as simple as uh, the mythology behind the Flying Dutchman which, okay. you know that sort of ghost story from the Age of Sail yeah. but like there has to be some truth and some history to learn from these you know these stories and folk tales and things oh, definitely. that science can't explain and yeah just because science can't explain it we think oh well it can't have any historical value I don't I don't think that yeah. that's and as you say, I think young people are good for questioning that sort of thing. Like, Yeah, definitely. Oh, there's 100%. Because uh, science is fantastic, I, but it still needs to be kept in line. Mm. You know, we can't. Yeah. Yeah, because there could be someone with the next big thing or the next idea. But he's, but he's so stuck in the uniform scientific... Yeah, if you can't scientifically prove it there and then, you know, it, it, how, how much yeah. people will buy into it. Like, you know? Exactly. But yeah. they should. Like, and it should be more commonplace. Yeah. I think, anyway. Um, so just we'll talk a little bit more about 
uh, your work. So you, you eventually found some some work in archaeology after leaving college. Yeah. You know, you were just uh, doing the nine to five sort of stuff, and then. It's all I was at. I was just working normal minimum wage job, and um, my brother was working on site with an archaeologist, and he told him all oh, you know. My brother has a degree at home, and he doesn't do anything with it. And then your man passed on a few numbers and emails, and I was able to apply that way. Yeah. Well, I, I, I still, even though there's a bit of a boom coming on, I still consider myself lucky trying to get in when I did because you see now a lot of companies are drying up at work for the month of August. Yeah. So it's just lucky to have the shoe in the door I know exactly. for when things pick up again in you September. Definitely, you hit it at the right time. Yeah. Um, and uh, how have you enjoyed it so far? Like, Do you like the work? Or? Oh, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Such a, such a different lifestyle. Like, you're outside, mm. you're working, you're you're eating at the same time every day, which is really good for your diet. You're not you're not going to the shop and getting stuff in delis or whatnot. Yeah, because you're usually in the field in the middle of nowhere, like so. You've got to you've got to sort that lunch out and have yeah, and bring what you know is going to keep you energized for the day. Yeah, and you really get a structure in place because you have to get up so early for work in the morning. Like your body seems to after a while, your body seems to run like clockwork. I find, yeah. and that was a routine I hadn't had since school. Even going through college, so you know yourself, you're a mess. Like you know, you can barely even tie your own shoes. It's just, a, it's just you're you're a disaster. And archaeology kind of brought in that sort of school structure as well. Yeah. Um, and then you're 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 learning all day long, but most of the time you're not learning about your work. You're learning from the people who you're working with beside yeah. you. There's something so so good when you when you start a new trench and you're digging beside someone and they start shooting the shit or spouting something about history and you just flow yeah. and you might have a two and a half inter- or a two and a half hour interval before you go on break and you've just exhausted a topic with someone but you felt so good you've just talked yeah. about history for ages as as you're working it's so pure it's yeah. very enjoyable and um uh, something that's been interesting on this this recent site we worked on tommy was uh, the fact that with a with a number of people who weren't archaeologists, and that was really cool to get there. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, like talking to one or two of the guys about, you know, they they were coming into archaeology, hadn't studied it, you know, had no experience with it, but they found this interest once they started doing yeah. the work, and I think that's that's fantastic. I've I, I've always said that like you know history is so important, and you can't you can't not have an understanding of it. Like it's exactly to understand human race, you have to have an understanding of the history of it. You can't be Again, the logical side or the scientific side. Yeah. We need to look at what we've done. Um, so, yeah, it's cool, as you say, getting to interact with people. But, and you know, everyone has their own different interests within archaeology. Yeah. Some people are, you know, deep into archaeology. Other people are, you know, may have studied it or may not have studied it at all. Just have a passing interest, but like the work and like working outdoors, like the physical side of it. Because it's a lot more physical than you think as well, like. Definitely. The archaeology. Oh, it's, it's, it's very physical. After your first few weeks, you'd be broke. Yeah. But um, that's that's awful healthy for you. Like, you're you're doing very good exercises all day long. Like, you might be wheeling a wheelbarrow a few hundred metres over and back. Yeah. Um, like, it's very healthy for you. But what you were saying there about people who've started working in archaeology that don't know anything about <laughs> history, it's so refreshing to have a conversation with them after a while, you can see that they understand that uh, like the truth of history has been sanitized and it can be malleable and bent and yeah, you can exactly, form it yeah. into different ways and stories and nothing is clear cut. There's nothing that we actually know for a fact. Yeah. And that's something that new people who come into archaeology realize after a while. Yeah, they, th- they think we know when we're digging a site. They think, they, they think we know what every feature is. Exactly. But... Yeah. Literally, once we find something and we're excavating it, we're trying to figure it out and trying to figure where it fits within the larger picture. Yeah. And as you say, yeah, it gives people on the outside an understanding that it's not just clear cut. We don't just go in, dig it up and say, all right, this was found, this was found. We have to, we have to piece so many parts of the puzzles together. Yeah, know? definitely. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's very good. And uh, what was I going to say? Like the, the challenges then within archaeology, just, just starting off and someone starting off. Because I, you know, I started off two years back now yeah and I you know I definitely like I think moving away from home was a big thing like uh, or how did you find that like living you lived in a and b while you were down on this yeah. day now there is a certain yeah as you say you're working with a bigger group and you get to talk all day but there is a certain loneliness to being an archaeologist too I think there it's, is yeah like you might not talk to anyone from once work finishes in the evening 
to to the next day at work. Yeah. So you, so you've got plenty of time to reflect on all the information that you've taken in throughout the day. Yeah. And then you've got plenty of time then to to not talk for the time that you're at home and store it up for the next day. A lot of self-reflection. A lot of self-reflection, yeah. yeah. But um, you just have to be organised, you yeah. know. You, but sure, that's with any job. I mean, settling in, you get into a system, you know. Um, I actually like the idea of, of travelling around with the company. Yeah. I think it's brilliant. You get to see and do lots of things. Like you, you're yeah. a big adventurer. Yeah. In your spare time. Oh, big adventure in my spare time. Any minute I have in the evenings, I'm I'm, tra- I'm off travelling in the car, looking at sites and whatnot, and chatting to people. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's it's, oh, it's it's savage. So is there any? Um, you've talked about like the good weather, the routine, what you're learning, the people. Uh, the challenges the yeah yeah what are the what are the what are the challenges within it though I'll tell you the worst thing about it now and I don't really want to go swearing on the podcast but when your boots are rimmed with an inch thick of shite and it's pissing rain and you're stuck down in a trench and you can't get any footing anywhere do you know it might be a v-shaped trench and you're slipping and you're in your wet gear and everything that is that is the make or break point of whether you want to keep doing this or not, because yeah. that's in Ireland, that could be every day. Yeah. That could be every single day. Now, luckily, we had a good summer. Luckily. Yeah. But yeah, you had a few days of that, and it's yeah. not, oh, not nice. It, it, it honestly nearly broke me. Like. Oh, yeah, sure. Like, I've definitely I've been out in a field in the middle of God knows where, and you, you'd quit eight times in the day, so you would. Yeah. Like, it's that sort of mentality sometimes, as you say, when your boots are ribbed with shade and you're pissing on you all day. Oh, stop. Are you a follower, Thomas, of Digging Those Ditches? I am. I am. <laughs> Frequent listener. I'm still only on Seamus Amurku's podcast. I have to get cracking. Yeah. I've just been distracted the last while. Oh, yeah. Busy, busy, surely. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what you get for working in commercial archaeology. So. Exactly. The idea of the show is actually brilliant because, you know, when you're looking at the Irish History podcast there by, uh, by Finn Dwyer or whatever, like it's very good and it's in depth and everything but I think you also need a bit of looseness you know a bit of dialogue between two people yeah. and if you just stick in your headphones and even if you're listening to it I don't know where it's just that light soft chat in the background it might catch yeah. your attention rather than have to fully commit to to like just information being blasted at you I think just hearing people chat back and over about history is so much purer it's a, yeah. you know it's a lot easier to yeah that's uh, it's not to try and sound big headed it's kind of what I wanted to go for with the podcast so I think I think similar to what you said about our ideas of history and archaeology, they're very logical and very, you know, cemented in our views and stuff. And I think our learning of history needs to change as well. It can't be this boring thing that you have to learn off the set dates and the set things. It really should be just, you should be able to just chat about it. Like, you know, like you chat about current events or you chat about what was on television last night or, you know, or what manner. Like just, it should be everyday talk where people are interested and thrilled by it. Oh, it should well be. yeah, Yeah, definitely. Like, you know, we, we have this idea of, like I, I, de- I de- definitely mentioned it on the World War One episode. Like, like that was a hundred years ago. You know, like a hundred years is nothing in history. So no. that's current events. Yeah. Like we're still feeling the after effects of the of, of World War One to this day. Like, oh yeah. A lot of what's going on in the Middle East is down to the breakup of the Ottoman Empire after the First World War. Yeah. So I think history, to a large extent, is current events. And even then, something that's two thousand years ago, it's it's still not that far away. Like. That's so true. Like it's so hard to understand your time and the time frame that you're in. And just there at work uh, a few weeks ago, we were talking about the railway system in Ireland. Yeah. And what a shame it was that that we were the second country in the world to ever get a railway line. We had a railway line that brought you from Donegal to Dingle or down to Kerry and all crisscrossing all over all over Ireland. But then. We, we always compare it to today and we say it's such a shame, isn't it? Mm. But no one actually takes into account that a lot of those railway lines had to be closed down because of fuel shortages, because of the two world wars. Yeah. And even though Ireland had no role to play, we didn't have any fuel. Yeah. And that was even how the bike got popularised in Ireland. The bike wasn't even popular in the 1800s in Ireland. Yeah. It only came in after the fuel shortages and people That's couldn't... Class, yeah. I didn't know that. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, and... 
Look at you making me look bad. I warned wars, you know, I, I, I pride myself on my war war yeah. knowledge. Well, I actually got this me. information from a GEA book. <laughs> <laughs> that but, was the one you got off uh, Paul Fingleton. Yeah. yeah, he wants it back, he said. Does he want it back? <laughs> um, but yeah, like, it's so true. We're blaming it on, oh, the Irish government, they couldn't manage anything, you know, they couldn't even keep the railway lines in the, in the country yeah. and how handy they would be. But they had no choice. Yeah, I suppose it shows, it shows again, another thing that I always try and, uh, you know, put across the fact that Ireland were so involved in the world, and like it's it's easy we 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 constantly look at our history as just this internal thing on an island. But as you said, the reason that we have uh, the bicycle culture f- that existed in the forties and fifties, you know, you, people from the country cycling into town to grab your few bits or cycle into the dance. You know, Patrick Cavanagh's poetry about people cycling in the road to go dancing for the night. Yeah. The reason that that's popular is because of the world wars it shows that we were we were in it and we were affected by it even though yeah. we, don't, we don't talk about that like we, we kind of see the world wars as something that happened across the water in Europe like yeah yeah exactly you know I mean? um, yeah and then you have to look at us you have to look at it as well like what was Ireland at what were we at during during the world wars like where was our people and it was because we were suffering brain drain our best most skilled workers were leaving the country and going away and like obviously Ireland had kind of shut itself off to the world for a very long time but a lot of these people were just involved in agriculture just very very simple sort of lifestyle farming nothing too complex yeah. um, I was oh, We've got another guest on the show Sorry, here no, you're right. hello. How's it going? Fine, uh, not so bad Max, say hello to the people on the podcast. Hi. Sorry, my wife just walked in, so... Yeah, say folks. Folks. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I'm just going to pause it for a second here, guys. So that was uh, a little segment of my chat with Tommy Delaney. Now, unfortunately, we got chatting after that, and... You know, we just had a cup of tea and we were talking for a while and, and Tommy had to tip off. So we never got to, to finish that properly. But uh, Tommy will be on the podcast down the line again. Uh, very interesting guy to talk to. Uh, knows his history, especially his local history, as I said. And he's got a great passion for it. Very interesting guy. And I'm looking forward to having him uh, on the podcast down the line to talk about more specific. You know, we'll, we'll kind of t- take some specific subjects and, and go a little bit more in depth with them. But... Uh, I hope you uh, enjoyed that little introduction to the archaeologist Tommy Delaney and also the, you know, he gave you a little idea there what it's like to be a young archaeologist starting off and, you know, what are the pros and cons of, of working in archaeology and, um, yeah, as I said, I really enjoyed that chat. So, moving on with just uh, our second part of the podcast and I, I'm going to keep this quite short but I just want you to get an idea. We talked about the fact that we work in commercial archaeology during that conversation so i want to just take a look at what commercial archaeology is at a base level i'm not going to go too in depth uh, just to give you an idea of how the process works in ireland so in ireland and in britain uh, in particular uh, in these two countries uh, commercial archaeology companies are very common and they're common because ireland and england have laws that state that any sort of development you know, whether that be construction or road infrastructure or any of these major projects um, that would have an impact on, you know, a large area uh, or even a small area. It, it doesn't really matter about the size. It's just any sort of construction or something that could affect archaeology. A hundred percent in Ireland, anyway, a hundred percent of that needs to be investigated. So, you know, it'll start basically at a project proposal. So, We'll take uh, the example of Ireland. Uh, if the, the government wants to, let's say, change the route of a road or to expand a roadway, a proposal will be put forward for this project. And there'll be you know, various elements that will need to be investigated to, bring, you know, to put this proposal into action. So there'll be various assessments, you know, these will include environmental assessments and obviously I'm sure uh, the financial uh, involvements or the financial, the finance involved will be looked at and assessed, but also archaeological assessment. So how is this going to impact the archaeology and the remains of the past uh, in Ireland? 
an archaeological assessment then will be carried out. Um, the government will tender this process to one of these commercial archaeology companies, and this assessment will be carried out usually by, uh, first of all, the route of the, let's say, the planned roadway will be will be walked, and you know it'll be a ground observation survey. So you'll have two archaeologists usually working in a team that will walk the route, and they will report any sort of surface evidence of archaeological activity. Once that is done, there's various, uh, you know, geophysical surveys will be carried out to uh, further investigate, you know, any points of interest that these archaeologists have uh, pointed out. And these will include, you know, magnometry surveys and, and resistivity surveys, uh, just to see, you know, does anything pop up that's very obvious that needs to be investigated along the route of the proposed development. That's usually, uh, you know, all done uh, pre pre the project actually starting and then the government will put this uh, as i said out to tender they'll put the full uh, development or the full uh, job out to tender to these commercial archaeology companies and whichever archaeology company comes up with the best uh, plan to achieve you know the excavation of any archaeological remains uh, within the you know the time frame of the proposed development and also within the financial restraints of the proposed development uh, they will usually win uh, the award of this uh, this contract uh, and you know it's it's strange to think that you know archaeology is tied up uh, with the idea of getting something done in a in a time efficient and a financially efficient way but it's actually it means that in Ireland there's a lot of archaeology work gets done because in Europe as uh, on mainland Europe especially a lot of archaeology is tied up or you know it's carried out we won't say tied up, but it's a, it's carried out uh, for research purposes. So you'll have you'll have various institutions and universities that will fund uh, research excavations at various sites of of interest and importance. But Ireland and Britain, uh, these two countries, we really have our archaeology uh, tied into our development and our construction industries. So as I said, any sort of construction or development that goes on in Ireland, it has to be. Uh, there has to be an archaeologist there to make sure that it's not going to impact the archaeological remains uh, of our past. Once a company then, once they have um, won this contract to carry out the archaeological work on a on a development, they will usually, there'll be a phase one, which is normally sees test trenches being dug along the route or in the area of the proposed development. So these test trenches will be you know, maybe one or two meters deep, maybe 30, 40 meters long. Uh, and you'll have an archaeologist or, a, you know, a couple of archaeologists on site to flag anything that looks of importance. And they might be uh, tested by archaeologists at the time or else they will be just uh, flagged and recorded. And uh, a note will be made that this merits further investigation. So that's mostly what phase one is. Uh, this will usually be carried out in conjunction with a with a digger. Uh, you know, to strip back the top style, as I say, we they'd normally go about a meter or two deep, depending on, you know, where they're expecting to, you know, at what level they're expecting to find the archaeology, but it, it can vary a little. Um, and then during phase two, any, uh, any sort of areas of interest that were found will be, the, a wider area around that will be stripped back and then archaeologists will come in so the as I said, the team is quite small usually during phase one and phase two, then it can get a little bigger because you need people to clean back and identify and expose any features that are there. So in Ireland, those features can range from, you know, ditches to uh, furrows, something as simple as uh, a furrow is just a uh, ground that's been pl plowed up over time. So it'll leave like a, a straight line mark where the plow is cut through the subsoil. Uh, or you know you can find kilns or fulacfias you know burnt mounds um, there's, a, there's a huge range in Ireland of archaeological uh, features that can be uncovered and these will be cleaned back and photographed before that they before they are excavated they'll be cleaned back recorded and uh, often there'll be uh, pre-excavation drawings done uh, and then once this is kind of covered and they have an idea of the you know the the whole scope and size of a of a project uh often it can be put back to the government uh, who in ireland run uh 
their archaeology digs through uh, TII, the Transport Infrastructure Ireland, kind of look after all of, or, you know, oversee a lot of the, well, definitely the road development anyway. Uh, the reason I'm taking road development as an example is uh, the three main jobs that I've worked on uh, in archaeology have all been connected with the development of roads or the expansion or changing of uh, routeways. So I'm kind of taking that as my example here. But uh, yeah, so once everything's been identified, uh, photographed and, you know, uh, pre-excavation drawings have been done and it's been recorded in that sense, then archaeologists will move into phase three, which normally um, means that they'll start putting sections through things. So, you know, you take out whatever is filling these, whatever type of soil is filling these uh, features. Uh, you'll put a section through that and identify whether it's been filled in in one go or whether it's been, f uh, you know, filled in over time. Uh, and once you do the half section, you will record, uh, you'll record a drawing of that uh, and you'll also photograph it and then you'll continue and you'll take the rest of it out. Uh, take the rest of the fill or the soil that makes up whatever is filling in this feature. Uh, you'll take that out and then you'll do a post-excavation drawing and you'll start your paperwork and you will give your interpretation of what you think the feature is. Uh, you'll also show how it is positioned in relation to other features on the site. Um, in addition to that, then you'll also, you know, you'll give basic measurements and uh, the orientation that it runs along. Uh, so, yeah, you build up just you, you try and get as much information as you can in terms of of what you could see while you were excavating it you try and get as much of the information as you can uh, including going into detail on the type of soil uh, whether it was silty soil or you know like sandy clay or these sort of various descriptions and also you'll talk about the inclusions whether there was uh, you know stone inclusions or or charcoal which is uh, particularly important in dating if there's any sort of uh, burnt material or evidence of burnt material that can be very important for uh, for achieving uh, date uh, date ranges on when these features were in use and you know then you can use if one feature that looks like it's clearly associated or looks like it's contemporary if you can get a date from one then you can almost date the other so as i said yeah you really have to just give as much information as you can without you know without jumping to too many conclusions you gotta give as much information as you can to make it clear and easy to interpret as i say i'm probably not the best person to be talking about this because, you know, I'm an archaeologist and I've worked in the job and I enjoy it and I feel I'm pretty good at it. I'm not trying to, to blow my own trumpet here. But at the same time, I don't know the I don't know the like the processes in the way like uh, some people, uh, you know, some of my supervisors would know the process very well and understand what exactly archaeologists need when, uh, you know, whoever has to write the report on this. Uh, they'll be good at cutting out the information that they feel isn't necessary for the report or telling you, okay, you need a little bit more information uh, for the report. So you do the best you can when you're on site. And no, like nobody's perfect and everyone looks at archaeological features in a different way. So if you are thinking of working in archaeology, don't be overawed by that anyway. Um, but anyway, uh, then uh, other parts of the process then include uh, you know, cataloging finds. As I said, we will take soil samples, uh, particularly if it has, if it's charcoal rich, it has evidence of burning in it. It's very important to take uh, samples of those. So you'll take bags of samples and these will be uh, looked at in post-excavation work. Yeah, any sort of finds will be cataloged and uh, will be made note of. There will also be surveys carried out, you know, uh, any sort of uh, important, uh, particularly important finds will be will be surveyed in on, on a, on a post-excavation plan. Uh, this is done primarily now, uh, you know, through the use of technology, you know, uh, gone seems to be the days of the post-ex plan that were all hand-drawn. Uh, a lot of it now is digitally mapped in. Um, and then really that's, that's the basic, the process of excavation in Ireland. As I say, you have the phase one where you strip back and you, or you, where you investigate using test trenches to see is there anything worth investigating more thoroughly. And then you will do phase two where you strip everything back and you clean it. And then you'll do phase three where you excavate and you record. So that's the main processes. And then after that, you know, the site itself is just, it's normally filled back in. And then the road development will be 
will be put through that area uh, when the time comes for it to get underway. In terms of Postex, I don't know an awful lot about the Postex process in Ireland. You know, I've normally just worked on, uh, normally just worked on phase three or phase two and phase three of an archaeological dig. I did do phase one on this last one, but uh, yeah, in terms of post excavation, you know, any any samples will be analysed and dates will be tried. You know, they'll try and get dates using radiocarbon dating uh, and various other methods. Uh, also. Uh, any finds, as I said, will be more thoroughly catalogued and recorded and drawn. Uh, after that, then, once all the information is is gathered together and uh, every you know samples have all been processed and uh, finds have been catalogued, uh, the drawings will all be organised and put together and digitised and put you know on a computer and they will be tidied up so that they make you know that they all look more uniform. Uh, then whoever was the director of the site and who held the license, they will write a report and basically they will use all the evidence that was gathered during the archaeological excavation to uh, to give you an idea of what archaeology was uncovered. And in terms of like big sites, let's say, for instance, uh, these reports can be quite, you know, can be quite big and quite thorough and they will they will give a an interpretation of what was going on in this larger area, whether it was used for, you know, human remains or whether it was a place of, of living or whether it was a ritual place or, you know, it, the report will really bring all the evidence together to give you a clear picture of what was going on in the excavated area. So that's kind of the, the main process of archaeology in Ireland. Now, as I said, I don't have a huge in-depth knowledge of how it all works behind the scenes. I go in, I do my job, and as I said, I try to do it to the best of my abilities. So I don't know the ins and outs of it that well. Uh, it's, you know, long term, it's not something that I ever picture myself doing, being a director or working high up in a in an archaeological company. I, I enjoy the work at a base level, but I don't know if it's, if it's fully for me. So that's why I didn't want to spend too long on it, because first of all, I don't have the, the information to give you. But... You know, I wanted to just give you the idea of how it basically works in Ireland. And I think it's interesting, especially to understand it because of the fact that a lot of people have an idea that archaeologists just go out into the field, you know, doing research and trying to find old things and stuff. That's not how it works in Ireland. As I said, this is necessary to be carried out so that development can go ahead and that we preserve any important archaeological remains in Ireland. Uh, and it also has to be carried out, as I said, in, in a financially viable manner. And also there are time constraints that we work under in commercial archaeology in Ireland. And it's important to remember that, like archaeologists are not doing this, you know, because we, you know, because we want to or because we got the opportunity to. We're doing this because it needs to be done. So especially like I've heard people give out about archaeologists and how they can hold up development and stuff but it's not on the archaeologists we're just literally doing our job and we're doing it to the best of our abilities so you know if you are someone who thinks that archaeology work sometimes can hold up development you know ease off a little i suppose um but yeah it's it's definitely important to understand uh, the role that archaeologists play in ireland in our construction and our development and it's an important role as i said in ireland uh 100% of archaeology that's going to be in the area of a proposed development needs to be excavated and it's done by using these commercial archaeology companies and the most times very skilled archaeologists that they employ. That's a basic overview of how commercial archaeology works in Ireland. Uh, I know I didn't go too expansive in it and I kind of took the example of you know road development because the road development projects is basically what I've worked in since I've started working in archaeology but it just gave you a quick brief overview of the steps involved and I hope it kind of opened your eyes to the importance of archaeology and the importance of archaeologists in the everyday running or not the everyday running but the everyday functioning of of Ireland and uh, the everyday development that goes on in this country. So before we finish up today, then, I uh, just want to give you a quick suggestion on what to read, watch, or listen. Uh, I'm actually going to give you another watch this week. Uh, watches seem to be a lot easier for me lately. Uh, what have I been reading even? I'm trying to even remember. 
Oh, I'm reading Franco's Crypt at the moment. Very good book about uh, social memory and culture in Spain uh, since uh, Franco took power in Spain back in 1936. It's definitely a good read. I'm about halfway through it, but I'm going to discuss that in a different podcast, actually. Uh, hoping to get another mate of mine who did his uh, his thesis, his master's thesis on social memory in Northern Ireland, particularly taking a look at uh, the murals in Northern Ireland. Uh, so I'll try and tie that book in with that. Uh, but my suggestion this week, and you know, I couldn't go an entire episode of the podcast without mentioning either, you know, the weather or war. So I'm going to suggest that you watch World War Two in color. Uh, it's on Netflix again at the moment. It seems to pop up every six months or so, and I can't help myself from watch it. Um, it's just brilliant. Uh, I think it's a twelve-part series uh, about World War One, and it's all color. Or sorry, excuse me, about World War Two. Uh, I'm still kind of stuck in the World War One headspace. Um, but yeah, it's it's a twelve-part documentary about World War Two, and it's all colorized footage. It's absolutely fantastic. It takes you from the end of World War One, right up to the the end of World War Two, in terms of what was going on that led to this huge cataclysmic event in world history, and I just can't suggest it enough, folks. It's one of my favorite documentaries. My my wife is kind of sick of me watching it at this stage. As I said, it's it pops up every six months or so on Netflix, and then it'll disappear again. But as soon as it comes back on, I I find myself inexorably I, I can't help myself from sitting down and watching it again so yeah my suggestion for this week is world war Two in color it's it's so well done and it's so fantastic to watch brilliantly narrated it's just a fantastic piece of of uh of documentary film work so that's it for this week's episode of the show uh i hope you enjoyed the the quick chat with tommy delaney we'll definitely have him on the show again and also my my maybe a little bit too quick run through of how commercial archaeology works but as i said i didn't want to bog you down but i just want to give you an idea that of the role that archaeology plays in ireland and uh you know as always you can you can follow the podcast on um instagram uh, digging those ditches and we also have the facebook page uh, if you want to get in touch about any subjects or anything i've talked about on the podcast it's uh digging those ditches at gmail.com and you know, until next week, folks, and I've had a week off, so, you know, I didn't dig any ditches this week, but uh, next week I'm going to be in the middle of nowhere, uh, so hopefully the next episode will also be along a little bit quicker, because I'll have plenty of time uh, in this rural place that I'm heading off to, to write the next episode of the podcast, or to, you know, get the research done for it, uh, so until then, folks, just keep digging those ditches. <laughs>